This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Taylor. I'm joined by the whole crew this week, David, Brady, and Jordan. Today we're going to be breaking down the Louisiana road trip for the men's basketball team and then previewing Carolina schools coming into town, then get into a little bit of off-season football talk and answer some listener questions. But first, we're going to start with the breakdown of Georgia State's road trip to face uh, Louisiana Monroe and Louisiana Lafayette. Uh, Georgia State Going one and one, dropping a game, close game uh, to Louisiana, 80 to 78, and then picking up a win uh, against ULM, 77 69. So, gentlemen, how are we feeling? What is consistency? That is all. (laughs) The Louisiana game was certainly what they call in the biz up and down. They do call it that. Louisiana, Lafayette. what they prefer to be called, so do them a favor, even though they just gave Georgia State a loss. Yeah, Georgia State goes one and one. Um, and like you said, the consistency was a little uh far-fetched to ask for on this past on this trip. And I think you could definitely see that even just inside the kind of microcosm of one game and that Louisiana loss as well. That game felt really weird because Georgia State played I would argue that they played well. Um, There were things that they didn't do well. The 15 turnovers, you know, obviously is a problem. Um, No, didn't shoot that great from three. Um, But, you know, whatever. Uh, But they outshot Louisiana, both from the floor and from behind the arc. And they still just didn't come up with a win. And, you know, it's kind of frustrating that they had no field goals in the last five minutes. But, you know, I think at one point they were winning by like 18 points or something like that. So that's, you know, that's not something that you can really excuse. And like you guys said, that it it definitely was incredibly up and down. And it seems like if there was maybe two more minutes of a basketball game georgia state probably wins that but you know that's not the case the highest ull ull was pretty much just dominating the first half um it was a really confusing start even for a team like georgia state who hasn't come out of the gates that strong over this year uh it was 32 17 at the height and then before the end of the half georgia state played pretty well they got back into the game they chipped away at the lead and they cut it back to just being down six at the half which given where it it was in the middle of the half you definitely take that and then even for a team that has played pretty well out of in the second half despite their early game struggles even by the standards of they do play well in the second half this is one of the best second halves they played for the first 15 minutes of the second half. I mean, they went on a, a scoring run out of the break and just it, they took a lead within uh, three minutes and change of the half starting because ULL, I think they made their first field goal of the half with like 13 minutes to go in the game. Um, and after that, they were comfortably up pushed it to double digits. Uh, the highest I think it got was 64-52 with eight minutes left. And going into the final media timeout, it was 72-63. And at that point, they lost. Um, 
gave up 17, only scored eight in that final stretch. And a lot of it was they were fouling and letting Louisiana go to the free throw line. And Louisiana took advantage of that and made their free throws. And sometimes that happens. But I think the the biggest thing that the area of growth for the team, especially on the defensive end, is defending without fouling. Absolutely. It, I feel like a broken record here, but it's it's ridiculous just how many fouls that Georgia State has committed lately. Um, and it sucks because they had a really good day from the charity stripe as well. They went 17 of 18, 94%. You know, when was the last time we talked about a Georgia State team that finished a ball game in the 90s and shot over 15 free throw attempts? They got it done from the line, especially Kane. Um, but you can't, you absolutely got to cut back on the fouls, man. Teams are getting in the bonus with like nine, eight minutes left in each half. And, you know, teams will take advantage of that. That's free points without the clock running down or doing anything, you know, and it causes coach linear to have to change the rotations that he's using. And that, I mean, that impacts the game. Obviously statistics are a nice thing to go off of, but occasionally there's just, as you're watching a game, there's feel things that you get after watching basketball for a while. And late in the game, Cedric Russell, after not really doing a ton early on, really got into his rhythm and got comfy, especially from behind the arc. And he pulled up and he hit back-to-back threes that I think the first one tied the game. I think the second one gave Louisiana a two-point lead. But I know the second one did. And I knew the second one was going in before it – uh went off because sometimes you can just tell like guys it's late in the games as you're watching you'll see a guy get comfortable you'll see who among either team has the guy who you would want taking the shot and neither of them were particularly good looks but they went in so they were good shots (laughs) um is i guess the best way i can put that yeah, they were defended super well. I'm not mad at anybody on Georgia State for how they you know, defended them. Sometimes, like you said, guys will just get, get hot and feel hot at the right time, you know? Yeah, and I guess the the end part of that is that Russell was that guy. I guess I didn't complete the uh, metaphor there. Um, and Georgia State didn't really – Kane was going to the line, and Justin Roberts had a good shooting day, but – Late in the game, this time, it didn't really feel like... It felt like the the guy on either team that had something going late was Russell. Uh, it was it happened earlier in the year where, again, um, Corey Allen was that guy where everything he was touching in that game, especially late, was going in, and he hit that uh, crazy jumper to send the game to overtime. So... It's not like Georgia State hasn't had situations where they've had that guy who's just feeling it. It's happened a little less frequently. Feels like the three-point shooting especially is maybe coming back down to earth from the near 40% highs it was. But that's why you don't want to give up aids with eight minutes left because especially when you're playing the team on the road and they've got the home crowd behind them, you're just asking for trouble. And all it took was one guy getting hot hitting a couple of shots that maybe were ill-advised, but went in and, and that was the ball game. And also the last possession was just 
Um, very sports, very, uh, of course it happened this way because the guy who got the winning basket was Malik Wilson, a freshman for them. And he didn't play in the first game against Louise, uh, against Georgia state. So of course the guy who didn't play in the first game when you won by 38 gets the game winning shot. And you just can't really let a layup be what beat you in that situation. Tie game at 78. You cannot let them get an a easy look at the rim like that. And so frustration there and it means you move a game back you you lose a game because georgia southern won both games so you lost the game you had on them and you're tied with georgia southern now to kind of contrast that louisiana loss the louisiana monroe uh win came in a situation in which georgia state was in a position to let the warhawks back into the game and they executed down the stretch and were able to close it out rather than kind of collapse like we saw in Lafayette. Uh, Georgia State actually never trailed this game. At one point it was tied um, with about nine minutes to go in the first half. But Georgia State uh, led for the entirety of the game and was able to just really get back down to executing and closing out games and not letting the other team foul their way Back into the game like we saw with Louisiana Lafayette. Yeah, it was another game where even though ULM never led the game in the first half, it was a little back and forth in that Georgia State jumped out up 8-1. ULM worked back into it. Georgia State pushed back out and Georgia State couldn't really get past leading by six, leading by eight thereabout. And it ended up being just a three point game of the half. But then, like we've seen a number of times conference season, like we saw Thursday night in Lafayette, Georgia State started off the second half gangbusters, opened up a huge lead, and it eventually ballooned up to 16 at 56-40 with just under 10 minutes to go. But as as college basketball goes... ULM immediately went on a nine-point run to cut it back to single digits, and it was a little dicey down the stretch. And going into the final media timeout, Georgia State was up five, but ULM had foul shots coming. ULM missed the front end of the one-and-one. Corey Allen came down and hit a three to push it back up to eight. And from that point, Georgia State, and by Georgia State, I mainly mean Kane Williams, hit free throws, and it never got close again. I feel like this was a good win, you know. We could harp on the three-point shooting abandoning the Panthers, but it was a good win. Um, it sucks that ULM was able to make those runs and keep it closer than I think it was, but... I like the way you phrase that, where you say the three-point shot abandoned us, or abandoned Georgia State, rather than they just didn't hit shots. Like, <laughs> like there's some capricious three-point spirit out there that was just like, mm, I'm out. I'm out of here. You guys, you'll be good without me. I mean, Georgia State's not a team that shoots 27% from beyond the arc, and that's what they did on Saturday. So there must have been some spirit that said, eh, you're not going to hit these shots today. So I think that the spirit is just father time in that it's February in the season, and a lot of basketball under those legs means the shots are falling a little less. Sorry, I it back to a real thing. <laughs> How your dare you get the conversation back on? Very metaphor. Brady. But How like in the first you. half, first half, Georgia State 
shot three of 17 from three, which is obviously not a good number. But I didn't feel watching it that it was a 18% as far as like the quality of looks. There were some decent looks. There were a couple of forced shots up, but it felt like a lot of them were good looks that just didn't fall. And especially moving into the second half, there were a fair amount of people front rimming three point shots, which at least to some degree is just if you, if you're constantly shorting the ball logically follows, it's a little bit to do with just being tired. So I think we saw some of that. And I think it's not just to be dismissed as like, Oh, it's just they're tired because they do need to have that rise back up again. It's an important part of the game. Whether or not they're shooting at 26 times a game, which maybe is a little high for what Coach Lanier ultimately wants, they need to hit at a better clip because it is an important part of the offense, especially guys like Corey and Kane. But it should be said, uh, Damon Wilson, after having a, a, a few struggles of games offensively, he had his best offensive output in a while. He had 14, he hit three threes, and... Part of it just seemed like he was confidence and he was just taking the looks when they were there. And some of that was maybe abandoning him in the games before that, where he just wasn't taking the open looks when they presented themselves. Uh, so that's something to watch as we keep going. Um, ULM is six and 17 now, and they're on a 10 game losing streak. So we're not going to quantify this as a good win or anything but it is worth noting that ulm has while losing 10 games in a row been a tough team at home and so the fact that it's an eight point win is almost irrelevant to me because it is a eight point win like at this point you can't be too worried about the quality of wins on the road you can't look at the opponent and say well they're six and 17 so you need to beat them by 30 because uh, that's not how college basketball works and while the net rating and everything looks at quality of loss, I don't think that it's really going to affect Georgia State's seed line and if and when they make the NCAA tournament that they only beat ULM by eight on the road. Yeah, I kind of liked how you put it in a perspective there. Um, and I think that's kind of how we have to look at it from both of these games uh, while yes, it would have been nice to come out with two wins. Ultimately, did this really change much about the outlook for Georgia State? I don't know that it necessarily did. You know, I know that a few weeks ago we talked about Louisiana and if that's a rivalry or not. And, you know, obviously it would be better if the Panthers, you know, swept through conference play and went on a 20 some odd game winning streak like San Diego State or whatever. But in the grand scheme of things, you know, both this win and the loss on Thursday, they move the needle in the sense that you want to win games, but ultimately Georgia State is probably still going to be fine. I, I don't know. I'm not going to necessarily. I mean, it needed to be 2-0, and we didn't talk a ton about these games in the vein of, like, Georgia State needs to win both of these to achieve their goals, so... There isn't much to say because we just talked about these games. And that wasn't a, they're definitely going to do this. It was more of a, it's the talking point to talk about with this. And it's not like a guarantee they go 2-0. Um, and so 
given the reality that it does move you a game back a little rock and it puts the conference championship that much further away. Um, you're still tied for two. You have the tie break. So if the season ended today, which it doesn't, Georgia State would get the bye straight to New Orleans for the conference tournament, which is nice. But I guess what I would say is right now, with Little Rock included, with all the teams kind of coalescing behind Little Rock included, the Sunbelt seed ceiling for the NCAA tournament right now feels like at 14. It seems 15 maybe 14 if a couple of upsets happen in conference tournaments. And so looking past the just making the tournament is a win thing. Georgia State's had a couple of losses that's moved them down seed lines. And for future growth with the program and getting to where year in, year out, the tournament is an expectation. I think losses like Thursday are bad because when they pile up or when they you have a couple of them in, in a stretch of games, it can really affect your seed where I think before the Alabama road trip, it's not a stretch to say Georgia state was maybe 13 at worst 13, 14, where 14 is the floor rather than the ceiling. I'm curious now that you put Georgia state in as a 14 seed, they'd be playing number three seed, correct? Yes. Um, so I just looked up the top 16 projected bracket or tops, the projected top 16 overall seeds in the tournament. Uh, your three seeds uh, are as follows. The East region, Maryland. Uh, South region is Seton Hall. West region is Villanova. And Midwest is Florida State. So those are the kind of caliber teams that one could expect to play were Georgia State to make it in the tournament and make it to that 14 seed. Um Past getting into the tournament, I don't really know how the orientation of what region you go to. I know it's kind of based on um, like travel distance to a degree, but I know that's not like a hundred percent accurate like a uh, way to tell where we would go. Like it's tough to say which one of these four teams we, that Georgia State would get laid up against. But I mean, those are all really quality basketball team so it's going to be an uphill battle kind of no matter where the seating falls but that's right. also and getting way way ahead of ourselves here. yeah and it wasn't even just about a georgia state thing it was just also that that's how little rock doesn't really have that the records better win yeah but they don't really have the wins to bump them up or the reputation um i mean georgia state's the only team in the sunbelt who's building a sort of reputation fair or unfair to the other schools uh that would mean maybe they get a bump just on the fact that they've they made Same the value. shot, which, you know, um, and even, you know, Georgia State's had losses that's knocked them back down. And just as a conference wanting to be better, it it would there's other conferences on a comparable level to Georgia State and the Sun Belt that they kind of slot in at 13 as a you know worst case scenario. And there isn't any real reason the Sun Belt couldn't be in that same spot. And so. I guess the short answer is lose less games. Uh, but I think that I would also want to point out through all of this, that at this point, number of games wise last year, Georgia state was 17 and eight and Georgia state right now with the first year head coach and losing a lot of experience on the last year's team is 16 and nine. So 
I guess measuring expectations in two different ways. I think that this is the way that some of the losses have happened. It's been disappointing, which is good because expectations are so much higher than they were when I personally started following Georgia state athletics. And so I'm all about high expectations and, you know, disappointment when the team isn't reaching the lofty goals you're setting for it. But the second fold 16 and nine, only losing a game on pace of a team that had a lot of seniors and that coming into this year, there were a fair amount of question marks about what the team is going to look like. I mean, you have to take the good with the bad because this is theoretically the starting point for coach Lanier. Uh, There's nothing guaranteed or anything, but it does seem like with without losing a ton this offseason, the Georgia State has a good position to springboard into next year, regardless how this one ends. And this team isn't that much worse on just record alone than last year's tourney team. So just something to keep in mind there. Let me posit this question. Georgia State has six games left on the schedule. You have two home games coming up against App State and Carolina or Coastal Carolina, excuse me. Then you go to at the Texas schools and then you follow up that with closing the season out on a two game homestand against Georgia Southern and then Little Rock. So what are the realistic expectations for Georgia State to finish out the season with six games left, including games against the two biggest, uh, you know, two two teams at the top of the conference in Georgia Southern and Little Rock? I mean, really, Texas State's right back there, too. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, you no, really Texas close State, out the season. Yeah. Those wins and losses are really going to come down to or the, the way that the the bracket breaks down going into the tournament is going to come down to who wins these last three games on Georgia State's schedule, I think. So the, the funny thing is it's losing to bad teams isn't good just on an aesthetic level. You don't want to lose to teams at the bottom of the conference. It was obviously Uh, the funny thing is Georgia state has a chance to have a lot of the tiebreakers against teams of the top conference. Cause as of yet, they haven't lost to any of the teams around them in the standings. Um, App state has a chance to come in and win this week, but if Georgia state wins on Thursday, they'll have the tiebreaker over app state. And if, Texas State can't beat Georgia State in San Marcos, then Georgia State will have the tiebreaker over Texas State, and that could matter in seeding. Ditto with Georgia Southern coming in. And Little Rock, these schools only play once, so whoever wins among those will have the tiebreaker. Or as I talked about last week, Georgia State would have a possible tiebreaker over other teams that did lose to Little Rock. Uh, So I think that that plays a role because – even if you drop a couple of games, if you still manage to go over 500, if you go four and two and the losses strategically work out, Georgia State could still stay in second because right now they're level with Georgia Southern. They're a game up on App State and Texas State. At this point, Texas State has to beat Little Rock. Our UTA probably has to beat Little Rock because those are the teams that Little Rock goes on the road to face. And Georgia State needs to fit, beat Little Rock if you're going to unseat them from the top. They're up three games. There's not that many games left. It's a real ask for anyone really to catch them at this point. It's going to take Little Rock helping you out and losing, which they haven't been doing in conference play. So I think that that is a, if it happens, that's a nice thing. I think that staying in the two seed is really 
where you want to be because you can still get that double buy. And if you just take care of the home games, which Georgia State has done this year, except for the, the one against Troy, suppose you drop those two in Texas, you still go four and two, you're probably in a good position. So I would say four and two at a minimum if you want to achieve the higher goals you have. But obviously, five and one, six and zero oh would be better. But I think four and two is definitely achievable. So that starts with this week and the Carolina schools. You beat App State last time, lost to Coastal, and <laughs> what might continue to be the most boggling of losses. Yeah, how did that loss happen? Sorry, we don't have to litigate it. Still a little confusing. Um, couple of notes, I guess. Uh, again, it's a team that Georgia State's played before, so we're not going to spend that much time, especially because we just had a nice hearty discussion on the Sun Belt in general. But App State has Isaac Johnson for this game, which they did not last game when Georgia State played App State. And don't know if it made a difference or not. He's a big for them. He can have an impact on the interior. So remains to be seen. They're still a team that's definitely asserted themselves as a problem, a not the same old App State team of the years past under their previous coach. And so they can come in and if they win... They could be tied for second after Thursday night based on other results if they beat Georgia State. So they're going to come in very motivated. Yeah, the Panthers definitely got to take care of business at home. That would be really unfortunate if they were to drop this one. Coastal's in a weird place because they had their second best scorer, Keyshawn Bruton, leave the team. Not really sure what's up there. And they won last time against UTA, but they're still kind of in a weird spot of just struggling and losing a fair amount of games and most of them by double digits at that. So it feels like on paper, it's a, a game that Georgia State should be able to handle. The Coastal seems a little bit closer to in, I want to say free fall. And I also don't want to make it seem like it's another like last time Georgia State was playing a game like this. It was the Troy home game and it was like, yeah, they're going to take care of business. And that didn't happen. So not going to get too uh, overconfident about it. It's still a game Georgia State has to go out and play because this was a team that beat you the last time you played. It's a game that Georgia State needs to, especially if App State does, you know, get them involved in a grinded out game on Thursday. And it matters because, you know, if let's say Southern wins and App State, Georgia State, that potentially puts a lot of pressure on the Panthers going forward in those next five games. So definitely would be very important to at least come away with the Coastal win. So shifting gears into some offseason football news. Georgia State made a couple of new coaching hires, uh, including Corey Peoples, the new cornerbacks coach, and Brian Landis is uh, be taking care of the inside linebackers. Um, the running back coach is still unofficially open. It's kind of an interesting situation we'll touch on. Um, and then Georgia State also announced that they're going to be holding their uh, annual spring game uh, Friday, April 3rd at night, 7.30 p.m. in Georgia State Stadium. Um, where what's our reaction to this new kind of uh, developing Georgia State offseason news? Well, it's it's hires that 
were known, just not official yet. And I think waiting to find out if there were any going to be like, if either these people were going to coach special teams or if responsibilities were going to shift around. And as of yet, there's no real change. The listings for them are just cornerbacks coach for peoples and inside linebackers coach for Landis. So nothing new there. And it still feels like spring practice dates getting announced. It feels imminent and it feels like running back coach probably should be filled before you go through spring practice but it does it's felt for a little while like the the hire is in the works just not there yet but i would be surprised at this point if coach elliott doesn't have his guy in mind and they're just working through the process for the running backs coach because only a couple weeks away yeah it's really close i mean it's cold here, but I know it's warm there, so it probably doesn't seem like you know, spring is right around the corner. But David, it literally snowed here two days ago. <laughs> it's and then it's 75 degrees today. <laughs> that sounds horrible. At least it's snowing today, and it'll be cold tomorrow. So, um, But I think, honestly, I, I wanted to switch gears to the spring game a little bit because I really like that it's at night. Mm-hmm. And I think... You know, it's just the spring game and, you know, whatever, whatever. But I think Georgia State really leaning into this night home game thing is a really good idea. You know, it's a Friday, you know, and students are still, you know, whether they're deciding what to do on the weekends. It's You know, it's early enough to where it's not like, you know, people can still go, but they don't have to necessarily be there and be out late because it's a spring game. So they last about an hour, two hours, you know, and especially if you do like all day events leading up to like in the afternoon events leading up to you know, that seven thirty kick. That's a great idea. Yeah. You've got to get the students involved and that's kind of always been a theme with this program over the past 10 years is the uh, students have always been a major factor in attendance, whether for better or for worse. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's apartments across the street, Aspen Heights. I know a lot of the players live there. Uh, I know a couple of current students that live in those apartments, and there's more going up. There's going to be a hotel built there. And the there is a critical mass of on-campus students now that just did not exist in 2010. I think the number of housing-sponsored beds has doubled, maybe tripled since then. Get them in. Bring in somebody that, I don't I don't know, I'm not hip with the kids anymore. I don't know who they listen to, but bring them in. Free food, free t-shirts, free whatever. Get them in the building and excited about football. Under the lights, blast the train horn until it falls off the top of the, wherever it's mounted <laughs> off of. Bring it back. I am ready. Oh, please. I need this train horn in 2020. So does does blue team or white team get the train horn, or is it a, a, a everyone situation? I think it's an trick, all skate on the train horn. Trick question. It's definitely an all skate on the train horn. <laughs> oh, this you know this offensive lineman had a nice block train <laughs> horn. <laughs> Somebody's Line- mom's in the so, audience. Train horn. Train so horn. you're saying. <laughs> Thing, instead of coaching the game, Coach Elliott himself is just going to be operating the train horn. Give him the button. I don't know. They got to have some sort of wireless technology now. Give that man a button and put it on his belt. If he gets excited, slap that button. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> no, no one loves the train horn more than Coach. So it feels only right that, especially in the spring game situation, where it's you know not against the rules for him to have the train horn. <laughs> 
rules. I, I also, I, there's no I visiting concur. radio personalities to complain about it. So blow that thing all day long. I concur with the night football is awesome. Chatter has gone on just now. Um, don't really have anything to add in that. I just, I guess it's more of a, let's hope students show up. It's a spring game, so you can't hope for too much, but schools around the country sell out their spring games. So at the same time, expectations can't be so low that any student showing up is a good thing. Like measure it realistically, but also as this thing continues to build, you're going to want to start seeing it be a legitimate event. And just candidly, the spring game hasn't really felt like an event any of the times I've been to it. So maybe this is a turning point. Winning as, cures everything. Yeah, it super does. And as Jordan said, you know, this could be really big for the Panthers. So moving on into some listener questions, Ben has hit us with a trifecta of questions this evening. Uh, first question he had was our, about our thoughts on the Friday night spring game, which we just talked about. But yeah, to reiterate, good idea. I think that's all we have to say about that. Uh, next, he wants to know, our thoughts on the official recruiting class of 2021 hashtag hashtag win the battle 21 with the uh, B A T L capitalized. I don't know. It seems kind of like a shot at the folks on North Avenue to me. And I know some people on Panther talk think that as well. What do you guys think? It does the job. Uh, that's what I got. Um, the creative juices were not flowing when we were asked, uh, only a little <laughs> bit devastated that my lukewarm suggestion, I don't even remember what it was was not what was chosen eventually. <laughs> Hashtag, I don't I'll even be... remember what it was. <laughs> Tag yourselves. 21. <laughs> don't forget <laughs> 21. Um, I, I'm a fan of stuff with uh, ATL as a pun, with battle and everything, you know. I definitely think adding in the Atlanta identity is worthwhile. Um, that's what I got. <laughs> If I'm being completely transparent, I didn't even know that this was a thing of creating like recruiting class specific hashtags until Ben asked us about it. So I don't even think I'm qualified to have an opinion on this. <laughs> We're the most boomery podcast full of millennials probably on the face of the earth. I wouldn't hey go now. that far. Hey you guys now. literally call me out every time I use boomer dots in a tweet. Well, you might be a boomer. I have to ascribe that to the four of us. It's a decent hashtag. It does the yeah. job. It's certainly not the worst hashtag across any sort of social media that I've ever seen. It's oh, not even sure. a conversation. So I feel like in that, uh, in that to that end, it accomplishes what it ac- needs to accomplish. And the only people that really need to be interested and exciting in it are the recruits that are coming in 2021. That's exactly correct. Yeah. It's like we have to remember it's it's not for us. It's these 18, 17, 18 year old high school guys. Whoa, the keeds. Yeah. Speak for yourself. I got four years of eligibility left, son. Georgia State needs a kicker, right? David, I would pay it is definitely almost not as... an innumerable amount of money to make you go out and try and do a place kick in a live game situation. <laughs> now, if only to get you to to get them to like size and dress you out in pads. How how much do you think we would have to bribe them to let David kick? Well, considering that I don't think they have pads in David's size and they'll have to special (laughs) order them. uh, Probably the cost of the pads plus a little more to grease the right hands. (laughs) You know what I mean? That's very true. Wow. (laughs) Anyway. 
Oh, wow. All right. So that's that about hashtags. Uh, Ben's last question is, uh, what do you think the best pregame meal spot is around GSU Stadium? All right. So uh, there's a number of places in Summerhill that are pretty cool if you guys haven't gone and checked them out. Uh, Woods Chapel Barbecue is always the host for the coaches show for football. So uh, it's always good to go patronize those guys. I know the pizza place is pretty popular. Uh, Halfway Crooks Brewery has also been a pretty good host to a lot of stuff. Uh, we went over there before the uh, homecoming game this past year, had a little get-together with some of the marching band alumni. Got some good beer up there. But yeah, just go check out these places. Uh, they're adding more and more. I know there's uh, a couple things going in this fall and going into next year. But uh, other than that, I don't think there's anything else that I can think of. Speaking specifically as someone who didn't really know that this Summerhill neighborhood was as far along in that kind of development as it was at the beginning of this last football season, I'm really excited to see where they're at with the like availability and kind of notoriety of these places within the greater Georgia State fan base by the time the next football season comes around, because it really seems like it should be a no-brainer. It's less the, that Summerhill, whatever the street that is uh, right off the main intersection in front of the stadium. It's Georgia left, Avenue, I think. Yeah, you take a left yeah. there, and there are like four or five different spots that that was 10 months ago, whatever, you know, at the beginning of this, the fall. And now give that another year to kind of build itself up, and then suddenly you have more Georgia State fans coming to games, more guys you know, going out and patronizing these restaurants and it, it's kind of a, it grows organically with the kind of culture of getting more of a game day atmosphere. So that's something I'm really excited to look forward to. Thanks Ben for those questions. As always, we throw out a little social media blast um, on Twitter, Facebook, all that fun stuff uh, each week before we record. So if you have any questions for us, whether it be about football, basketball, Georgia State Athletics in general, kind of anything tangentially related to Georgia State. We'd love to hear from you so we can get those questions answered on the podcast as well. Um, we do have one more topic that we'd like to save for last. Um, Dan Ellington, Georgia State quarterback, uh, announced on his social media today that he will be hanging up his cleats, um, calling it a career. Um, kind of just wanted to give some kind of general retrospective thoughts about Dan, his contribution to what he means to this program and I don't think it could be understated the impact that Ann Ellington's performance both on and off the field has made in the greater Georgia state kind of fandom. And I feel like a lot of kind of uh, fans that were on the peripheral of being interested in Georgia state were really kind of ignited to really sit up and pay attention to this team when they saw the kind of impact that, Dan Ellington making that leap from last year to this past off uh, this past football season. He really elevated this team both again on the field. And you could tell that in the locker room and just as a presence in and around the program that he was somebody really special. And I don't think it could be understated the kind of impact that he had on the program. Well said. Yeah, it's obviously all we do as sports talkers is compare this player to that player. And right now at this point in Georgia state history, the two top quarterbacks are unquestionably Nick Arbuckle and Dan Ellington. And I'm not going to compare them. We don't have to do that yet. Uh, the fact is that both of them had an indelible impact on the football program, the university and it just feels like 
a weird thing because he obviously was done at Georgia State no matter what. Uh, this is just announcing him, so to speak, hanging up the cleats in general. But the two years he's been here had a lot of impact. And I don't think it's even just Georgia State fans that are taking notice. I think opposing team fans and players have taken notice Dan Ellington, had mass respect for him. I definitely know that was the case in the Arizona Bowl. Wyoming people had a lot of respect that he was going out there and battling with the injury he was playing through. Um, but even just taking throughout the injury aspect of it, done nothing but res- represent the program and the university with class and went and helped get Georgia State to what is undeniably their biggest program win at Tennessee. And I don't know what the future holds for Dan. I know he's talked about coaching, and so it wouldn't shock me if he isn't go far away from this, the game of football you and if he's in playing it. Uh, we look forward to seeing wherever he goes. And I kind of want to just add, like, on a personal note, that we here at Thursday night have been lucky enough to have been afforded the opportunity to go in and, you know, talk to the players, interviewing them. And in every personal, you know, interaction that I had with Dan this year, he was nothing but so polite and genuine and just really, you could tell that he loved talking about this team because it meant so much to him. And as somebody that is lucky enough to be in a position to cover this team, that makes our jobs a lot easier if that makes sense of so just it's re- it's a lot easier to report and uh tell the stories of people that are excited about the thing that you're reporting on so that's going to stick with me is just something of of you know kind of the the candor that Dan brought to interacting with both the fans and the media and kind of just the people that are tangentially related to the the program and having somebody like that, especially in a leadership position in the quarterback position, you know, the most visible kind of face of the team, having somebody that can represent the program like that, uh, I think does a lot, whether it's noticed or not by him or whether it's noticed by the athletics department, that people do take notice of that and that will stick with people. And I guarantee you that somebody that wasn't a Georgia State fan that either saw something of Dan's or saw him battling through the injury or just the way that he handled the Tennessee win or whatever you want to pick. Somebody was made a Georgia state fan because of Dan Ellington. And I don't think that we will ever be able to fully put a, a, a marker on the impact, you know, a, tan- a, a tangible marker on the impact that Dan had on the program, but those kind of far reaching and things that you might not even think about that. I think that's where Dan's legacy will be felt most vividly. Yeah, definitely. Um, at the Arizona Bowl, the post game, there was a fairly large scrum around him after on the field just to get final remarks from him. And everyone in the circle asked at least one question, a couple people multiple questions. And even though everything that must have been dawning on him in that moment was going on, he stood there and answered every question, uh, was not like visibly like not engaged, you know, he, he was obviously still engaged with everyone. He was interested in what the questions were. He was interested in answering them. Right. And so specifically can mention that occasion within just the last time the team played as a time where that was what Dan was doing. Like Taylor was talking about the ultimate professional, I think kind of goes without saying, but in all aspects of what it means to be, you know, a, a college athlete, I think Dan embodied those, those values. So 
hats off. Thank you, Dan, for everything you've done. Um, if you listen to this, you know, uh, the Panther family is way uh, behind you 100%, no matter what you choose to do after this. Um, you know, just best of luck in all things coming forward. Well, that's going to do it for us this week. Thanks for listening. Uh, instead of our normal outro, we're going to throw it to one of our favorite Dan Ellington moments from Georgia State's 2019 spring game. Enjoy. Uh, it's going to be different. It's not going to be the team from last year. Honestly, we forgot about last year. Uh, it's all, it's our focus right now is on Tennessee. And I think don't be don't be shocked when we beat them. That's all I got to say. Don't be shocked when we go in and beat them. I think we're going to have a really good chance of beating them. So uh, it's going to be a great week for us. I'm just feeling The Thursday Night Podcast is a production of ThursdayNight.com, the independent source of choice for all things Georgia State sports. This podcast and all included sounds are exclusive property of and copyright 2019 Jordan Crawford Enterprises, LLC, on behalf of ThursdayNight.com, unless otherwise specified. The podcast is produced by Programming Director Brady Weiler and Technical Director Jordan Crawford, with assistance from co-hosts Taylor Dynan and David Salmon. You can find the podcast on SoundCloud, as well as podcast aggregators like Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. To submit questions and comments, or to request information on advertising and corporate partnerships, contact the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as at Thursday Night, or via email at thursdaynight at gmail.com.